Greetings, everyone. I'm Declassified Dave, one-third of the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour podcast, and you're listening to Infinite Rabbit Hole. Last week on Infinite Rabbit Hole. If I shot this thing six times and it didn't do anything, and then I shot it with a 30 out six, and then it showed some visible signs on the second one, I wouldn't then go take my my rifle and my son and go gallivanting into the brush to go chase this thing down. I just let it go and be like, everyone, get the f inside the house. <laughs> it's just incredibly fascinating. It's just wild. You know, it's just a hot spot for crazy shit. <laughs> you know, us in the future, far off in the future. There's like a genetic issue, right? We do too much genetic CRISPR shit, and the genome is just messed. So, us in the future come back in time to harvest DNA and all kinds of other things from select individuals, of course. Blah blah blah. But those are the beings that most people are seeing when they're seeing UFOs, if they're not like. Lockheed Martin stuff or whatever, but you know, like a lot of them are these crypto terrestrials that are kind of stuck here in this part of the timeline. Uh, you know, okay. yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, I like sending a drone in first would be what we would do, you know, so it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility that another technologically advanced race, it doesn't seem far fetched that that's what they would do, also. It is us. That's what I'm saying, dude. It's us from the future, man. I mean, I would have been out of that place when I saw the wolf the first time, personally. But that's just me. This guy's a lot braver than I am. He stuck it out much, much longer. So, <laughs> it's I, I, I think you already know where my mind is going to go with this. But, like, <laughs> I'm definitely thinking that it's not what everybody thinks. Back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole. I'm your host, Jeremy. Today we're going to dive into part two of our saga on Skinwalker Ranch. What is it, guys? What is Skinwalker Ranch? Uh, but don't answer. Don't answer. Don't bunch answer. of baloney. Don't answer. So last time on this ep- on last yeah, time, most that's just baloney. You're yeah. baloney. Oh boy. <laughs> last last time on Infinite Rabbit Hole, we jumped into the the history uh, of the Shermans. And their time on the ranch. Today, we're going to dive into the NIDS team um, under Mr. Bigelow. And then we will be doing a part three where we go over and discuss the possible theories behind what's actually going on there. And we'll get into our personal opinions of the place. But before that, let's go ahead and bring everybody in since everyone just loves talking over each other and me. Kid, you're the only one that didn't do it. So... It's because I'm polite. I know. So, Jeff, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm good, man. Good. Oh, I'm, so- I'm sorry, kid. How are you? Oh, okay. I'm 
fantastic. Good. Thank you for asking. You ready to jump back in the Skinwalker Ranch? I am. I'm stoked. So I know that the three gentlemen that we have uh, with us today all dove deep into the Skinwalker Ranch rabbit hole in between these two episodes. Did you? I'm slightly embarrassed because I did not. Oh, <laughs> shame. Not. Slacking. I, I did, fine. however, I, I really want to watch this show. And in Canada, we can't get Hulu without a VPN. So I did go VPN hunting. So I, I tried. Criminal. Well, <laughs> <laughs> there's about four more days until part three gets recorded. So you have no time at all. Mm, never. <laughs> so, there's never then, any time. We'll bring the other guy in uh, since we already did. Um <laughs> who also did not watch anything on Skinwalker Ranch, Jeff. We're bringing you, you back know? in. How do you I know? Because you... I know you didn't. I know you did nothing. Nothing? Whoa, that's am, a little... Am I wrong? Am no, I wrong? No, you're wrong. Am but I? No, you're half right, half wrong. I did not watch oh. anything <laughs> about Skinwalker Ranch, but I also did not do nothing. Did not. Yeah, did not do nothing. <laughs> so I'm not wrong. Hmm. You're not right either, though. Eh. You didn't know. Eh. Y'all are wild. Eh. (laughs) Anyways, Wes couldn't wait until today. He had to go and buy the book that we basically did most, or I did most of my research off of. Not the only book that I did, but he went ahead and listened to the entire thing. So, Wes, how the hell are you doing today? And thanks for jumping to the end. (laughs) Jumping to the end? Yeah. Uh... What do you mean, jump to the end? You know all the secrets of Skinwalker Ranch now. I I already knew most of it. I just was brushing up on it. That's and boring, I, hadn't, isn't it? I hadn't read that book. So I had a long drive to drive to my sister's wedding. So I bought the Audible version of it. And I listened to it on the drive out there. It's got to be a horrible auto audiobook. Wait a minute. No, you it's shamed, actually... You shamed Kenzar for not. And now you're shaming Wes for... Well, no, I'm shaming yeah, Wes yeah, for Jeff. Wow. Or, yeah, I'm Jeff. shaming Wes for going too far, okay? He didn't need oh, to go and do yeah. the whole thing. He jumped to the, the last page of the podcast, and he's ruining it for himself. Now he's going to sit not, there. I'm, oh, my God. It's, <laughs> it's, you know what, Jeff? Jeremy's deflecting. Jeremy's deflecting because he's a giant scumbag. So I mean, <laughs> that's why. All the, right. The, to get back to, uh, get back to what you were saying, it was actually a great audiobook. <laughs> It, like the person who read it or whatever, you know, or Audible, like it was actually really good. I thought, uh, really, uh, yeah, uh, great delivery, uh, really sucked me in. And uh, when I was out in the middle of nowhere in Virgi- uh, West Virginia, um, it was like there's I forget what part they're talking about. I don't want to spoil it, but uh, <clears throat> there was like it was like really creepy, kind of giving me like hairs on the back of my neck standing up kind of feeling, you know, and. Like literally, I'm I like when I say I'm in the middle of nowhere in West Virginia. Like, there's I haven't seen any other cars, I haven't seen any lights on the side of the highway or anything. No buildings, no no type of civilization for like a couple miles, or probably like five ten minutes. And then I'm around this corner. It's like midnight, and there's like just a dude standing on the side of the highway, like just yeah. my 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 headlights illuminate him, and I'm just like, what the? Yeah. In case you don't know fuck? that. That was in that your was... bowl. <laughs> Good thing you know. weren't a cow. 
You would have gone right up for that anus. <laughs> oh, boy. Yep, would have taken it. Would have had a gaper. I'm just um, but, uh... Sir. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, as Wes is Anyways, on his good. drink, let's uh, go ahead and bring in the guy who dove into the TV show. Mm. Who's that? My, my bestie. Oh, me. Yes, Jacob. Okay. Well... Just for the occasion, I'm wearing the Probe in Time t-shirt, as I totally believe this is a government thing, but that does not exclude the possibility for some good old-fashioned probing. So, uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely that... I think it strengthens that, the fact. Yeah, oh yeah. Was... Just just to, you know, really seal the deal, you gotta get probed. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to believe anymore, because I've seen some really convincing, like, documentary type tv shows that are strictly entertainment based they're all a bunch of nonsense but i I don't know it's like because i i want to get really big and into this tv show and everything that's going on but it's really hard for me to buy everything that's going on and that nothing is scripted and nothing is you know cgi and all this sort of stuff because i've seen all of that on other things like we were talking about I'm just going to say it, Todd Standing and his TV show, his Finding Bigfoot TV show or whatever, where he's no, filming no. these Muppet no. creatures, right? And he's just like, these are big feet. And it's just like, no. And Todd it's like, Standing, Todd Standing wasn't, I, I don't think he was on Finding Bigfoot. I don't know. I don't really watch the it was, show. But... It was, well, it was some kind of Finding Bigfoot show is what I'm saying. Yeah, it was a documentary. He does a documentary yeah. uh, where he has like a drone following him and he's running through the stream in a ghillie suit and he looks like a look like a ah, dumbass to be honest with you <laughs> horrible um anyways but, we'll talk about todd standing another day because that's a whole other episode well no but that's just <laughs> i just mean like that style of documentary where he's claiming that this is like a real thing a real phenomenon that he's he's found and there's pictures side by side one of the one of the um what is it one of the bigfoot pictures and then i think it's a picture of him right next to it you know two two pictures face you know head on and you can totally see the outline of his face and his facial features perfectly encapsulated inside this bigfoot so it's like obviously this guy was just dressed up in in you know latex costume makeup and all this sort of crap and it's just like right so but i see the exact same pattern of documentary journalism whatever emulated in this and i agree there's other parts where it's like did they just hack that llama up or that emu and just they're did like you see, did you see it i did the one with the there's uh, not the an emu, emu but <laughs> the alpaca there you know you know this bird or whatever but no they, they did they hack it up or did you know something actually attack it right so it's just like okay there's some things that i could buy but other stuff where i'm just like oh, i don't know but yeah, I'm I'm enjoying the show. I think it's pretty interesting, but I don't know what to think about the actual episode. And I actually the, got some dirt. I got some dirt just from ooh. just from editing the last episode. Good. Good. Is it on your upper lip? Oh, no! I already <laughs> had that. Dude, I'm stop, sorry. man! I think mean, he looks I'm good. Look kidding. at that. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. He's beautiful. It's beautiful, Jake. Don't listen to him. Yeah. He's I got to give him a little, <laughs> just a little. Let 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 the no hair club over there, uh, you know, play with themselves. 
I got plenty of hair right here. bro. Calm down. I got plenty of hair right here. Right on my face. It just migrated (laughs) down, you know? (laughs) Anyways, it is, it's a, it's a, it's one of those, (laughs) it's one of those shows where it's like, what do you believe, right? Um, Nothing. It's not like, it's not like other documentaries (laughs) of this kind of stuff where you walk in thinking that, you know, this is just going to be BS. Of course, you start the show, uh, Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch, and you think this is all going to be BS, but then you see the science that they put behind it and techniques that they do. And you're like, hmm, okay, maybe. And then they actually get some of the evidence on film, and you're like, mm, man, I don't know. Possibly, did a did a cow literally just die underneath a UFO? Right? Is that something that actually happened? Uh, it's charming. Right. It's a charming show. Uh, makes you want to believe, but at the same time, you're looking at it and you're like, there's got to be some kind of uh, entertainment factor to this. Uh, right. And undoubtedly, they're using real scientists and the real attorney general of Utah was there, right? There's real yeah. people, but that doesn't mean that they've never utilized a political figure or a scientist for a TV show or a movie. Like they've never used Barack Obama for any of the movies that came out while he was the president, right? Where they're like, we need you to fake a press conference and, and say this thing so we can put it in the beginning, you know, introduction to this movie or whatever, because there's a lot of that, right? It's like, I'm come sh- on. I'm sure that Jeff would come out and say that that's never happened. I don't answer questions. I can either confirm nor deny. But not Very well. All right. Well, we've been <laughs> talking for 11 minutes. <laughs> Let's move on to NIDS. Before um, I, we uh, do that, ooh, can I clarify ooh. something from the last uh, the last episode? 20 bucks. <laughs> and then I want to clarify, too. Jeff oh, always wants money. Notes. Oh, oh my god! Look at that notebook. All right, yeah. You know what? Let's let's start it this way. Go ahead. Uh, right. West then Jake. Go. <laughs> Sorry, I, I I told you beforehand I wanted to do this, but yeah. So and Jake no had the whole had the whole spiel about trying that. Like, why didn't this guy? Uh, it was it was Terry Sherman, right? That was mm-hmm. his name. Yep, Terry Sherman. Why didn't he try to take a picture or get video evidence? And I was like, because he was lying. I, <laughs> well apparently he did he did he tried m- on multiple occasions and just this this uh you know whatever you want to call it these this phenomenon happening on the ranch like it somehow knew whenever he was trying to like you know film it or take pictures of it and as we're going to get going to get into that seems to be a recurring theme that uh it likes to play hard to get <laughs> so See, to speak and i would have taken that versus the idea that he just wasn't interested in that sort of stuff because i was i was going well i didn't today, say he wasn't interested well that he that. was illiterate to technology i didn't say that either <laughs> ranchers and whatnot you but anyway, said so, he was a dumb farmer yeah from oh my god you're you about said to- you said that they want to riding. be away from people. They don't want. They don't want anything to do with technology. Plus, they're too they stupid did to want, figure it they, out. Even they, if they did, the like, whole reason they moved out hard. to Skinwalker Ranch was because they did want to get away from people. And Jeremy should be able to back me up on this. That was like the whole reason I, they moved out I there. Can back them up. That's that's why. Yes, I mean, they moved from Oklahoma, or no, not Oklahoma. Uh, uh, in any case, Arizona, I believe. No, New Mexico. No. So, an hour that deep place. into the last episode, I'm sitting Rhode here. And I'm Rhode recording. Island. 
or I'm I'm editing our audio from last episode just yeah. a couple hours ago. And it's I wrote this down. I said in last episode, Jeremy said that Terry Sherman believed that there was a black budget craft and gene editing being done on in the basin. Mm-hmm. Um in regards to the big giant wolf or dog or whatever it was, and then the um, rectangle-shaped craft that was hovering and stuff. Um, and so I, I had to re-listen to that. I was like, wait, what? And so I went back, and I was listening to Jeremy. He said that that he had this wild idea that there was you know, this black-budget craft being tested on in the basin, and also maybe gene editing to explain the the black animal or the the dog, mm-hmm. and I was like, that is quite the theory from somebody that I'm <laughs> being convinced right now would have no reason to carry a camera on him ever. Like it was just like, what a wild theory from a simple cattle farmer or rancher or whatever it was. It's like, so that's the guy that you're going to try to tell me just, Oh, he's so busy working all the time. Carrying around a wind up camera is just ridiculous for this person. I was just like, cause I found out about that stuff. I don't know. A year ago, <laughs> like, who knew about that sort of stuff, gene editing in the 90s, if they weren't really deep into that sort of stuff, you know? And it's just like, I, so, I, but I, I would have taken... I think you have to be deep into it to know about it. I mean, in the 90s? I mean, you like, were also... internet I, looking like in the 90s? I mean, there's there's yeah, well, other things besides right. the internet. There's movies and TV shows. I mean, you know? which ones? That were uh, into gene editing and black budget gonna make me google this but it it was just like it was just one of those (laughs) things where but on the other side of it you know we know from different episodes that generally speaking say like injured cold for example right or not injured cold but uh maybe kecksburg kecksburg ufo or something like that but that people try to go around these mysterious crafts and then their um their technology or whatever just starts just flubbing it just you know they can't get a good picture they turn out white right because they like radiate the film all that sort of stuff randall there you go but the only counter i have to that one is that i'm watching this tv show and yeah some of their stuff is messed up but they're filming the entire time and you're going to tell me that you know, this basic technology of winding to the next slide and then clicking it to, you know, expose the camera to light. That's the thing that's messing up, not all of this camera equipment over here. So <laughs> you know, I'm just like, this is stupid, you know? <laughs> so that's where I'm that's, sitting that's, with it, right? That's a good point because they had high frequency uh, meters and all kinds of other right. things that they were reading. And things right? were they're, whacking they're out, right? Crazy. Batteries are draining. Yeah. But the TV cameras were going just fine. <laughs> I, I mean it is something point. to think about right that's a good point so it's yeah. like eh, i don't know yeah Much interesting more goofy. yeah <laughs> but at the same time you know that is a pattern that we see often to wes's point is that people try to take videos and, and pictures of these sorts of phenomenon mm-hmm. and things tend to screw up now whether that's a government thing and they're trying to just you know wipe all the evidence and stuff they we just want to expose ourselves to people don't allow people to take pictures, whatever, you know, I, I don't know. Um, or it's an alien thing, right? But that seems to be a pattern that's very consistent across the board. So if that's the reasoning, then, I mean, I have nothing else to do but to buy it because it's not some weird outlier, right? 
Right. So, Jeff, do you know any uh, patents out there for targeted micro EMP bursts that they could use or um, something where they're like, I'm going to stop that mouse, but the computer will work, but not the mouse. <laughs> not off the top of my head but i guarantee you there probably is i mean if you're thinking of it <clears throat> there's probably a patent for it let's just be real right you know what i mean targeted jamming systems something Jammed. i mean biological jamming i mean we've had signal jammers targeted biological like for a long time yeah but signal jammers are, sure. they're not they're not so condensed you know, their their they're, jamming they're, range isn't so. They're not able to be focused on one thing. Yeah, right. Like what, that's what you're so trying to say. Right. But it's not a beam, I mean, right. I mean, I think it's possible that that I think that it's possible for that to be a thing. I mean, I don't know. Um, I mean, we can focus any any other kind of signal. Uh, why wouldn't we be able to focus something like that? Mm. But uh, I don't know. Um. <clears throat> I don't know. I just feel like that that lends to the you know what uh, they were saying. You know, this whole during this whole ordeal, that it felt like it was a intelligent, you know, thing. Whatever it was that was out there, you know, it it's it's aware of him and his family, and aware of what they're trying to do, um, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I swear I've seen something like that in a movie before. That whole jamming. Yeah, space balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that just sounds so much like a movie that it's almost like All right, guys. We are We are aiming at a 4-hour episode right now, so oh for my gosh. Jeff's bedtime sake, let's move on <laughs> and get started with the episode. Bedtime, it's Friday. Uh, yeah, it's Friday. <laughs> Looks Jeff. like Jeff Jeff's trying to get signal. <laughs> I was taking oh, a can, picture can I, can I just so add, I can, you know, do a little promoting. I just, I just want to add one little thing. I saw, I watched that movie Nope the other night, and it's heavily influenced by Skinwalker, Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and it was it was a great movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, it was pretty you know, sad, uh, highly recommended. Let's, uh, let's put this out there, right? So this, this requires no research. This requires watching a, a movie. If listeners of the Paranormal Network or are of of our audio version of the podcast. In case you don't know, anybody listening on the Paranormal Network, we do have an audio-only version <laughs> of the podcast where you can listen to over a hundred episodes of stuff that wasn't on the Paranormal Network. There's tons of content for you to jump on. Um, if you want to hear a a review of Nope and hear us talk about that movie, it was really, really good. And it falls right into our wheelhouse. Um, let us know. Okay, head on over to the Infinite Rabbit Hole Facebook group or hit us up at infiniterabbithole at gmail.com. Let us know, no, yay or nay. Do you want to hear us do a review on Nope? Uh, warning, spoiler alert. Okay, mm. but let's move on because <laughs> Jeff. we've got four hours to cover. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have 13 pages. So, <laughs> the mogul. And the rancher, Robert Bigelow, was a billionaire from Las Vegas, Nevada, who made his fortune as the owner of the Budget Suites hotel chain before growing his empire with the establishment of Bigelow Aerospace, a company aiming at the future fortune to be made with space tourism and leisure. Mr. Bigelow's interest didn't end at these two endeavors. 
a year before the Sherman Ranch stories hit the news, Bigelow had founded NIDS, the National Institute for the Discovery of Research uh, Science. I fucked that up. The National Institute of Research. <laughs> I wasn't going to say nothing. I was going to let you roll with it. Totally fucked it up. The National Institute for Discovery Science, which focused on many parapsychological, parapsychological, and paranormal topics such as the continuation of consciousness after death, UFOs, and many others. As a major win for this NIDS team, Mr. Bigelow purchased the Sherman Ranch in September of 1996, and one of his first additions he made to the NIDS team was was hiring Terry Sherman himself as a farmhand and researcher of the ranch that he loved so much. Terry Sherman was extremely happy to be given the opportunity to not let the ranch get the last laugh and was assigned to investigate a string of cattle mutilations on the ranch. It was now ranch hand Terry Sherman's belief that whatever was to blame for all the strange phenomenon on Skinwalker Ranch, uh, skipping that because whatever I wrote here doesn't make sense. He stated his beliefs to the NIDS team on multiple occasions and recommended that if the team wanted to get the best results, that more primitive techniques would be the best way to see the phenomenon. This is a little nod to the conversation that we had earlier in this episode. His recommendations included the building of more observation decks spread out throughout the ranch and closed circuit landlines built in for communication purposes. Terry claimed that wherever was that whatever was behind all the action here is seemed to not like modern technology and that when Terry attempted to introduce cameras and other recording equipment to his arsenal, the phenomenon seemed to slow down. Of course, the NIDS team did not listen to these recommendations and soon added CCTV cameras with 24-hour live recording capabilities to every nook and cranny of the ranch. And, as Terry predicted, the phenomenon went dormant for many months. Now, before you say it, well, that's because there was nothing there. Know that before the introduction of all this technology, many members of the NIDS team claimed to have had various experiences with the unknown on the ranch in, in the early days of the investigation. Almost a year later, this string of bad luck finally ended. Terry Sherman was on watch when three of the cameras went offline. Terry was surprised to find out that the three cameras in question had all the cables and wires ripped from the back of them. The cameras were all placed on 15-foot wooden poles and would be nearly impossible for any known creature to do such a feat. But the strangeness really takes off when one of the surviving cameras on the property successfully records all three red recording lights from the damaged cameras going out simultaneously at 8.30 that morning. So, now we have three cameras that were placed 15 feet on top of a wooden pole, all going out at exactly the same time. All three had suffered the same damage, which was caused by the wires and cables being pulled out, not gnawed, not sliced, or properly removed. No, they were pulled out. One cable even had the connector still attached to it. But the cameras not but the cameras only were able to show the recording lights going out. So whatever did this wasn't able to be seen by the camera. Wes has something to say. Go ahead, Wes. Sorry, I thought it was at 8.30 at night. I remember them specifically saying that there was just enough light out still at that time to be able to see if anyone had approached that camera. 
See, this <clears> is one why that I didn't, it was this, filmed. This is why I gave you shit for reading the book. What an asshole. No. Okay, so uh, I'm not exactly sure what the Hunt for Skinwalker book said, but I do have multiple sources, as I have They right said here. it was at evening time. It's so I have night. three other books and a couple documentaries um, that said morning. So I went with the morning just because more sources said morning. Uh, if skin, if Hunt for the Skinwalker said night, I know that's more probably reputable source. Um, but I went with the one that was more common. So there were cameras. There were cameras once, once, when, once, when Nids once got the Nids there. got there. Mm-hmm. Once people but yes, who know how to do um, that stuff. As I dove into <laughs> the, the Nids team, uh, it became apparent that yes, uh, Terry Sherman did attempt to have cameras on the property uh, during his stay at points. Um, there were no specific stories about him and cameras that I came across, but uh, when we started diving into the NIDS team uh, in retrograde, we find out that, yes, he did attempt to have cameras. In, in the book, they actually don't go into that until like towards the end. Like they talk about all his encounters and stuff, all the things that he experienced with his, mm-hmm. you know, and by himself with his kids and with his wife and whatnot. And they don't really mention it like at all. And then towards the end, they're like, oh, by the way, basically, he he had tried on multiple occasions, like, or I think they the word they used was many occasions that he tried, uh, you know, different things to try to, you know, catch their attention. He even at one point had uh like crawled, you know, through the field on the ground, like laying prone, mm-hmm. like slowly, like taking an hour or so to get to a vantage point, uh, you know, where He's certain phenomena had been happening. You can tell them all. You tell them all, this, this, is this, this, is, this is why I gave you this, shit. This is exactly this was, why I did this, Wes. This happened before Nids got there. What are you talking Look, about? All this is doing right now is keeping Wes and I from going at it again, just arguing about nothing. Because clearly, we would be arguing about something that was something that took place. It would just be a, a wasted conversation. So now we can argue about things that we don't <laughs> know about. Like, what was his hair color? You know? Yeah, oh or God. electric vehicles and warranties. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. <So dumb. laughs> yes. Anyways, yes. anyways. What I, I I told you that I I'm making a clarification. I like I found information that uh yeah. goes with what you were saying and I um I admit it that's what the, he that he yeah, tried. No. Like I'm I'm not opposed to changing my opinion or what I thought happened if I come across something telling me, Oh, this is what happened. I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah, same. That's no problem for me. All right. Same. Anyways, so what? What about uh, this? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, you know, Jeremy interrupted me when I was saying it, but he, you know, during the times that he tried to get video evidence or pictures or whatever, uh, you know, this was before Nids even got there. So I'm not trying to like spoil nothing. I because I thought we were discussing what the Nids team, you know, during their time there specifically. But, uh, you know, he, he literally tried everything he could think of, at least, to, like, uh, pull one over on the phenomenon. Uh, you know, like, he said in the book, they were like, if, if, he, if he, like, you know, crunched a leaf or something, he would literally lay there still not moving for, like, an hour just to make sure that, you know, 
whatever's out there wasn't on to him trying to sneak up on it and whatnot. But, uh, you know, like he, he went to great lengths to try to catch this stuff. But, uh, you know, it w- still wasn't enough. It seems like, like I understand the caution, right? But at the same time, they couldn't have been that sensitive. I mean, it was being hap- it was happening on a cattle farm. So you're hearing, you know, animal noises, animals. I don't, I don't know what cl- cows, um, sleep schedules are right but uh i don't know it just it uh, i i understand that there would be like this like sense of like like i really i want to figure this out you know and i'm being really cautious and like that army crawling across the ground and stuff but crunching on a leaf and and then sitting there and laying prone and waiting it's just like i mean i'm like with the cows cows in the background I mean, laying on the ground because he like I mean, disturbed a blade of grass. He, he, he wasn't necessarily right where the cows were at, or the cattle and whatnot was at, you know. But also at the same time, no one's ever experienced anything like this, you know. Like yeah, this yeah. is this is why this place is considered one of the you know UFO hotspots in the you know hottest hotspots in the world, you know. Uh, but you know he doesn't. He had no idea what he was dealing with, you know. He just. He just wanted to try to prove to people, I guess, to like, I, this is what's happening. This is actually happening. And I wanted to stop. That was his biggest thing. He's like, I don't care what it is. I just want it to stop. But uh, anyways, back to the, you, uh, Jeremy. The question that I have in regards to this, um, these wires being ripped out of the cameras. We're talking about like the wires being pulled out of the um, connectors. Yeah, yeah, so okay, so were there any was there any droop in the wire so that maybe an animal like a really big heavy animal could have so walked across it and here's, yanked here's them out? Thing. You know, like here's how does that work out? Listen, <laughs> there one of the cameras caught all three of the red recording lights going out at the exact same time. Right. So That's whatever happened. I- whatever happened i mean one of them if one of them happens yeah and you get like a really fat squirrel that that hops on some wires and it's like oh shit this fat ass squirrel pulled out the the wires it's not going to happen all three at the same time i'm sitting i'm so dumb i'm sitting here thinking about like just as if all camera. the cameras were sitting in a row right next to <laughs> 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 or like, or maybe if they were like all on a pole, right? And they're all yeah, facing yeah, different yeah. directions, but they're all mounted on this pole, right? And then they were separate all poles comes out Jake, together. Yes. Right. Are you are you gonna <laughs> cameras? Uh, are you gonna bring up the tape on the cameras? Uh, no, 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 no. I, I I thought of that as as sort of a uh, a small detail and I just kind of left it out. Remember well, we learned about small details, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pertinent because it it, it went to show they at least in Hunt for a Skinwalker they, they uh what's his name Colm oh, I already forgot Colm Kelleher anyway, yeah yeah he 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 talked about he specifically mentioned the tape saying that the wires going into the camera from the pole or whatever was meticulously wrapped with tape that was a total pain to get on and it would have been a total pain to get off and like it wouldn't have been quick and easy. By any mm-hmm. means, but and... here's here's the thing. The reason why I left that off is because you know, I mean, Wes, you probably know a little bit, but Jake and I, we worked, we worked, uh, him, uh, avionics, and me, electrical wiring and aircraft. Uh, tape is used for a couple different things: insulation for uh, yeah. the, the the covering reduction. up the stakes reduction. <laughs> That's the big one, right? <laughs> uh, the 
the reducing of chafing um yeah you know it, it it's it's not really like why why would you use it there's so many other techniques that would have been used better you know because you're dealing with something that's outside it's external and you have elements so why would why would tape be used on an electrical component outside you would to help, use to help protect it I mean, no, it's no, something. No. It's better than it's better. No. That's, but yes. that's how you they described use, it. You would use just, a conduit, is what you would use if you're trying to protect something. Which they use. They use PVC, is what oh. they said, right? But but the thing is, is if they're trying to like they said that they taped it with really good tape to the pole, right? Mm. But it, first rainstorm, that shit's gone, dude. It doesn't matter what kind of tape you use. I mean, unless I mean, you're using it was there tape. for it was there for months though, and never had an issue. Oh, does it? Like, it doesn't like rain. you said. They, they use, PVC, very often. they use PVC as conduit, you know, and the, the cables inside the PVC were also wrapped. And another detail was that the PVC was like when they f- went to inspect the cameras, it was just like broken and hanging off as if something possibly had hit it. But how does something on all three get hit and broken at the same time? You know, I just I, I've looked at it from an electrician's point of view, man, and I just said this is bogus. I just didn't. I mean, to me, it doesn't sound bogus. (laughs) I've got plenty of experience with all that as well. You know, I sit Um, 50 50 with this because I know I know a couple electricians who go out of their way to do really nice tape jobs on certain things just Mm -hmm. because. Is it inside or outside, Kenzer? It depends on the job. If you if 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 I have outside, a, they I do pay electrician. Outside, if I pay electrician they, and they tape something outside, I'm firing. That's it. dumb. That's dumb. You need to be <laughs> using. You should be using conduit outside because that just makes I mean, sense. But conduit or shrink, it, it, you have to use conduit. one. You can use well, shrink. I, I, I think we're conduit. we're uh, we're missing the whole point of why I brought it <laughs> up. So okay, is, is the fact that all three cameras had it and also had the PVC conduit uh, around it and. The tape was completely gone, and the conduit was broken on all three. So it's it's one thing to say one camera it was broken, ripped out. Okay, maybe a big ass bird or owl just like rammed it mid-flight. I don't know, tore it out. Okay, okay, one thing, but three cameras at the same time—that's that's a whole nother thing, you know. Okay, so I want to just <laughs> quickly go over something. So sorry, Jake. Just You're I want to make You're sure fine. something here. But I'm next. You said that he. There was a few months of nothing before this all happened, right? Yeah. Yep. So who's to say somebody on this NIDS team said, I'm bored. Let's let's rig something up and just Well, because the NIDS team was in Las Vegas. That's where they're oh, okay. Well how was. Yeah, they weren't even who's there. Who's to say somebody else wasn't and it could have been involved Terry. and said, I'm exactly Terry said well, I'm bored video. and I want something, right? It was, right? And then you know Jake, go. <laughs> okay, so these, I don't know why you would tape up a perfectly good cable. Can you put your hand down? Unless they Thank were you. really <laughs> bad cables that were really well used, and the uh, shielding, whatever the shielding was, probably rubber, was broken, so they taped it up with duct tape. Really good, strong tape to withstand <laughs> the elements. So, you know, I mean months of it sitting in the weather whether that's the sun or rain or whatever just the environment in general and then maybe it's not as sticky and then something now there's three of them so that's different right that's that's the outlier but 
here's the connector and here's the cable coming out of the connector like this, but it's broken somewhere around here. So they tape it and then this tape is suddenly not sticky and stuff and then something pulls it and then the only thing that that's pulling on is no longer the shielding, right? The thick rubber that, that covers up wires for a cable. It's just the wires going into the connector, which are not very strong. The pins alone, they don't provide that much strength to keep the wires in there. That's why the, everything is coated in rubber. But something pulls it, and then the wires just rip out of the, the connector, and the connector's still there. We're because gonna... they did a poor tape job versus just covering it with more heat shrink and then a lot of AV uh, connectors are those quarter turns. You know, you put them in, you twist them, and they got the, the two little yeah. pins with the the grooves, and you just turn and twist. That's yeah. not that's not going to be easily disconnected. Some of those are pretty tough. Um, but I'm going to be honest that's with you. Weird. I think we completely wasted about five minutes of this episode talking about taping. Oh, conduit. 20 minutes, easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's <laughs> wasted because you you guys are focusing on on the tape and the for the wrong reasons. Uh, but anyways, they taped uh, it because they're a bunch just, of janky electricians. It doesn't. It doesn't matter why they're scientists. They taped they're it. not electricians. It doesn't matter why they taped it. it <laughs> it's just the fact that they said that they did, and that it w- it would have been a pain ass to get off. You know what? And that though? it was inside the conduit, and all three cameras, it was gone. It's it's one thing if it was shitty tape tape job, whatever. Sure, one of them it can come off. Absolutely. Anyways, but three. That's Jake. that's why I brought it up. Jake made a good point. They are not electricians; they're scientists. So, did they use tape? Yeah, probably. Um, but maybe to save Scotch Jeff tape. to save Jeff because he's bored and hasn't said a word in twenty minutes. We have to Jeff, move on. Where's your background? Where's all your your stuff? What are you talking about? Your stuff, your sphinx, and all <clears> that <throat> crap behind you. Oh, I put it all in the bathroom. My bathroom is like an Egyptian spa now, so all the Egyptian stuff's in there. You know, hmm. you hear that, ladies? Yeah, come over, ladies. I got the Egyptian spa. <laughs> come know. over, and you can have Ross Sexy staring night. at you while you don't undress. Super nice, <laughs> a nice walk-in shower with a removable head on it. I get in there. I feel like I'm in the, an oasis. <laughs> Good. All right. Um, yes, yeah, so let's carry on. We still got, what, 12 and a half pages left? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> We're 40 minutes in. Yep. We, we went through the first part. <laughs> All right. We're, we're going to have to cut this into four episodes. This is going to suck. Anyways, um, for those that are watching or listening, if you hear me say, hey, put your hand down, like I said, the chick, it's because the, the program that we're using, we hit a little button that says, hey, I want to talk. And they constantly hop they up don't and care. down their, their image. I'm just trying to explain it. So <laughs> they don't care. Nobody cares. <laughs> like, nobody, what? <laughs> I'm just, whatever. Anyways, whatever. Moving on. <laughs> Shut up, Jeremy, and read. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully, I can actually read. We'll see. Uh, as you can see, I did not proofread this one. Okay, National so. Institute of Discovery and Science Research Institute. Yes, that's it. Who? <laughs> who was NIDS? The National Institute for Discovery <laughs> Science was a team of scientists created by Robert Bigelow, set to research the myriad of his paranormal and supernatural interests. One thing to understand about this team is that they knew that they were tasked to research a place believed to be an epicenter of a plethora of different supernatural activities. But they always approached the matter in a very professional and scientifically acceptable manner. The team consistently 
used the scientific method throughout their research, as well as never settling for the easy answer to the events that would unfold in their time on the ranch. All of the NIDS team's members suffered serious hits to their professional lives due to their time investigating Skinwalker Ranch, many of whom were very serious researchers in other scientific topics, such as one of the authors of Hunt for the Skinwalker, Cole May Kelleher, who is a PhD in biochemistry with a concentration in cell and molecular biology. In the fall of 1996, the NIDS team set up their electronic devices around the ranch, and whatever was behind all the strangeness of Skinwalker Ranch was now on the opposite side of the game of cat and mouse. Whereas, when the ranch was owned by the Shermans, the ranch was in charge. But now that the science and technology stepped into the ring, the ranch was the one being hunted. The NIDS team made history as being the biggest operation that included extremely valued professionals in various fields coming together to investigate and study a paranormal phenomenon. Many of these members attempted to remain anonymous. NIDS began the investigation of Skinwalker Ranch with three researchers on the property, a physician, a veterinarian, and Colm Kelleher, the microbiologist. The team moved into a research trailer that Bigelow had paid to have put on the property and began their studies with setting up recording devices for magnetic, electromagnetic, and visible ultraviolet spectrum readers. Other minor equipment that was first used on the ranch were night vision binoculars, video cameras with night vision, radio frequency analyzers, and microwave detectors. Soon after research began, the NIDS team grew by a few more members. Enough people were now investigating the property to form two teams for nightly research expeditions. These teams consisted of one of the original researchers, scientists, and one or two investigators. The goal of these teams was to gather as much evidence of paranormal or supernatural activity with the tools listed before as they could so that the NIDS 15-member Science Advisory Board, which was external to the field researchers, could dissect the evidence and determine new investigative strategies and equipment that could be useful for the field team. On September 16th, 1996, at 0130, one of the members witnessed a light over a row of cottonwood trees just outside the window of the research trailer. The light was so bright, that at first, the collective thought was that it was a flare floating over the tree line. The team watched as the light seemed to float downward into the trees, and all of a sudden, the light shot back up to the treetops. Photos and video that captures the 10 minutes of, of the team's first collective anomaly seemed to only show a distant light that did not look abnormal at all, other than the unnatural movements. But to the naked eye, the bright bluish tinge and blinding illumination was something special to every member. This was important to the investigation and set the excitement to extremely high levels seemingly right off the bat. The team had witnessed its first unidentified flying object. Although the team agreed that this meager light barely quantified something supernatural, the team began to feel excited and more accepting of Terry Sherman's stories. But there was still a lot of work to be done. All right. Was it in the last episode that I had said that I don't put a lot of weight into orbs and we started talking about that mm -hmm. one? What, what was that place that you said that people, the observation deck, people can go and look at all the orbs and stuff? Because I looked that uh, up. Oh, shit. Uh, well, I, I don't remember which one I said, but I know there's there's Marfa. I think it was that Marfa. One, that, yeah, Marfa. So I had looked that up and 
apparently there was a team of um, scientists that went to go and explore what's going on with that Marfa area, and they determined that all of those orbs that people see were headlights being reflected from mm-hmm. the road as the cars pass by in that except, distance. Except for the closest highway was extremely far away, and they said that the reflection actually beams due to the uh, the heat the heat rising off the ground. You know how it gets uh, swamp gas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. So, like, if, if you're looking <laughs> at a hot road, you can see like the heat waves coming off the ground. They said that that has some deal to do it's with a mirage. It too. It's, yeah, yeah it's mirage sort of, it looks sort of like an oil like spill. And they said somehow that was reflecting the lights, but. Come on, man. That is well, I mean, but they're scientists. Anyway, in they this circumstance, tape on, on cameras external to any... they're not certified electricians, right? They're scientists <laughs> just because they have a like a Ph.D. in biology doesn't mean they can go wire up a house. They're not waived certification because they're, you know, super smart in some areas. But anyway, uh, <sighs> I'm curious if this circumstance would have an explanation similar to that like a reflection off of, I don't know, someone's watch or something like that. You know, if there's fog or something, you know, large giant areas that have a lot of fields and stuff, generally there's a lot of fog that kicks up in the evenings because of the temperature of the ground versus the temperature of the air. If if there's a red light or whatever being reflected off of someone's watch, and they're just like, they're just standing there like looking at this thing, and they just, you know, they're just wiggling their their wrists and they don't realize it like when you're in your car and you know mm-hmm. you're the sunlight beams off your wristwatch and it's just dancing around the car i wonder if there would be something that would have an explanation like this or the lens of a camera right it's reflecting off of the lens and going towards where they're pointing at which would be following this light that's just mean, a curiosity for me could it yeah i mean i i guess yeah cuz i mean that's a super simple explanation but still, it could be something that would be looked over or because it's so simple, right? It'd be like, like, wow, we all saw this thing. But um, I don't know. It it could be passed over and just not thought about as maybe this is a reflection of something. Because a lot of cameras show red lights when they're recording, right? So if a red light is near another spot and it's being reflected out and it's hitting a backdrop of fog... I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Possibly. I mean, I'm a Occam's, researcher. Occam's razor, right? Possibly could happen. I mean, it sounds like a pretty simple explanation. All right. So cattle mutilations. Uh, cattle mutilations became a fairly common occurrence on the ranch after Bigelow and the NIDS team took over the property. The first such incidents happened to two members of the herd within feet of each other. The animals were found shoved under the fence of the property and served as the event that caused Mr. Bigelow to install a ton of security cameras all around the property, as well as fenced-in observation decks for researchers to conduct stakeouts and watch the happenings of the ranch live. As if the unknown entities of the area knew that they were now under surveillance, all activities stalled until one day in January of 1997, just after a massive snowstorm had taken place, Terry had noticed that a couple of calves near the observation deck had strange marks around their eyes and ears. The team called in a local veterinarian who insisted that he had never seen anything like the marks that were on the young calves. But when another veterinarian, a more senior veterinarian, 
had come to the property for a second opinion, he had said that the injuries were caused by a wildcat or coyote. With the lack of tracks in the snow from either a feline or a canine intruder, the team concluded that this was most likely not the answer. This small event would be the propulsion the strangeness of the area needed to return in full force. And one particular event that involved the mutilation of one of Terry's calves on the property. A calf was ripped apart in broad daylight, just a few feet away from Terry and a few other researchers. The body seemed to have been ripped right open and one leg removed from the rest. Oh, and all the legs removed from the rest of the body with ease. Along with these gruesome injuries, the calf also had all of its organs removed, one ear missing, and like many other mutilation cases, it was completely drained of its blood. Uh, and as if this couldn't get any weirder, once the NIDS team placed the flesh from the removed ear under a microscope, it was clear that what had done this had done so with precision only capable of being made by a seasoned surgeon with a steady hand and a scalpel. Question. Yeah. It was ripped apart right in front of him, so he saw it being ripped apart? No. So we get into it. We dive a little bit deeper into this uh, right away. So if you want, I can I can jump right into the next section. Uh, this was more of an introduction to the story of the calf. And uh, the ne very next section dives much deeper into the calf story. No, because I have another question real quick. What's up? Um so they found that these um, calves, the the original ones, had. Uh, they claimed that it was from a feline or canine intruder, um, because they're. But they said probably not because there was no tracks. But this was just after a massive snowstorm. Right. So at what point during the storm were they attacked? where these researchers could claim that, well, that's not the case because there's no tracks after a massive snowstorm. I, I find that one hard to believe. This other one is kind of, is very strange, but that first one is like, yeah, okay. Calves are an easy target. I get it. You know, the sick, the calves, all right. Those are the ones that get attacked by stuff. Shit, it could have been taken by a Thunderbird. I think the whole thing with the footprints is, is that they were able to see the calf footprints in the snow but there was no other footprints around it indicating a predator of some sort had come and attacked it. Good um, point. I think that's, I think that's that in the, you know, when I listened to the book that that was how they, they mentioned it. Um, you know, it was obvious if, if the calf's footprints are there, there should, if there should be a predator's footprints as well, but were there the, wasn't. And that's what, that's why it was, you know, were the calves as dead? another incident. Or were they still alive? Um, well, the one that was split in half that Jeremy's talking about was just one. Um, well, well, not that one. I mean, the other two. The other um, two were alive. Okay. Well, in that circumstance, one under defense I mean, or no, no, the other two that oh. that had the the ears and like the or the face and the neck, like that sort of damage and stuff. If there was no footprints around them, but they were still alive walking around, then that makes perfect sense, right? Predators could have came and went. And this cow's obviously making footprints because it's still alive and it's moving around and stuff. But the other one, I agree, very strange. Was anything missing? The anus. <laughs> well, from if you don't mind me stepping in, Jeremy, uh, when I read the book, they I thought there was just the one leg that was actually like detached from the calf, and it was like 
You're place. right. It seemed, it seemed that, like it was placed. I think I was mixing it, up it two stories. That. I think I was mixing up um, two stories there. Um, I did not proofread this very well. Uh, but uh, not gonna lie, I had a lot going on this week. <laughs> you know, essentially, you know, ripped in half at the rib cage. Uh, all the organs, entire car- you know carcass was pretty much empty. Another thing was no blood, no blood on the ground, which should have been there. Can I can I read this next buckets. section real quick? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, I'm the one that prepared this, but not very well. We, we didn't proofread it, right? Yeah, not, not amateur. All right. Thanks. So on March 10th, 1997, while acting as a member of the NIDS team, Colm Kelleher received a phone call from Terry Sherman. Terry's voice was frantic as he told Kelleher about what happened with his new prize, Angus Calf. On February 21st, Terry decided to move his cattle from his personal ranch back to Skinwalker Ranch. A few, or I'm sorry, a week and a half later, one of his newly born Black Angus calves would be dismembered in broad daylight, leading him to contact the NIDS team for an impromptu investigation. Five hours after Terry called Colm Kelleher, a team of three investigators were standing over the body of the calf, or what was left of it at least. As the team stood over the body of the calf that weighed 84 pounds just two days ago, images of what could have possibly taken place ran through everyone's head. The dismembered corpse laid on his back with the chest cavity splayed open with the points of the ribs point reaching towards the sky. All four limbs were found feet and one even yards away. All of its internal organs were gone and any sign of blood was nowhere to be found. Not a single drop was found on the grass, snow or hide. Terry's story consisted of him tagging the animal shortly before finding it in the shape it was in when the team got there. He claimed to have walked a few hundred yards in another direction to conduct another chore that had to be done. When his dog began to snarl in the direction of the calf and the other cattle. Just after that, the blue healer took off in the opposite direction and was still not back six hours later as Terry was telling the team his story. In fact, this dog would never be seen again. As Terry was finishing up how he eventually walked back to the area the dog was alarming to, the veterinarian that was a part of the NIDS investigation team pointed out that one of the ears of the dead calf was sliced off with a very clean cut as if it were made with a scalpel. The ear that had once been pierced with a yellow identification tag had now been gone and seemed to be the only part of the animal actually missing other than its organs and blood. As night fell, the three-man NIDS team and Terry set out to try to find more clues as to what may have happened. As they passed the kennel of dogs that properly kept, that the property kept for security and alarm purposes, the dogs stayed silent. An eerie event, as the dogs were always loud when the team was around, but since they had arrived, the dogs just stayed in the kennel, not making a peep. After a failed night search for any clues, the team retired for the night. The entire day of the 11th, and the daylight hours of the 12th gave up no details about the mystery of what actually happened to the calf. But in the late hours of the 12th, the team and the rejuvenated dogs were in the observation trailer when all three of the remaining dogs began barking and howling. The team jumped up with Terry and Kelleher jumping in Terry's farm truck with a powerful spotlight on its driver's side. The entire herd seemed to be in the northeastern section of the ranch, and when the duo began searching the fence line, 
They crossed the beam of light across a shadowy figure that looked like a cow for a brief second in the tree line near the southeastern corner. Terry turned towards the animal and sped quickly towards where the men thought they had saw it. Just as the truck straightened out, both men spotted two orbs hanging in the tree line just over where they thought they saw a lone cow. But as they got closer, they realized that these orbs were not orbs. They were the eye shine of a gigantic black creature in the tree about 20 feet off the ground. Terry stopped the truck with the driver's side window facing the creature, reached behind his seat, grabbed his rifle, and very quickly fired at the creature. The light shining from the eyes disappeared, and Terry thought he had killed the damn thing once and for all. Quote, I wasn't going to let that son of a bitch get another one of my animals, Terry yelled. Terry put the truck in drive and stopped about 40 feet away from the tree that the creature was sitting in. The two men jumped out and split up. Not long after, Colin Callagher heard the quick one-two reports from Terry's rifle as he yelled, I got him. When Colin caught up with Terry, there was no animal, just a pissed off and confused Terry Sherman, who claimed to have hit the creature point blank from 40 feet away. Terry was upset and confused as to how it could have gotten away after being so close to it. Quote, Sucker must have weighed 400 pounds, Terry would tell Colm. The two men split up to search once more at the location of the beast's last sighting. Colm held onto a camera, hoping to get footage of whatever the animal may be, or at least a footprint. And just as he was ready to give up, there it was, a large six-inch circular footprint. The footprint was strange, as it was nothing like anything any of the four men had ever seen. It had two long finger-like appendages coming out of the back of it as if it were from an inverted bird of prey foot. And the top looked faintly canine. The team only found one other print 20 feet away before they gave up for the night. So the team called it. The only evidence that this ever happened are some photos from the investigation and a videotape. There was never a casting made of either footprint. When it was all said and done, Terry actually claimed that there were two animals that night, one in the tree that he fired one round into and one on the ground that they had originally spotted, and Terry would eventually hit twice with his rifle from 40 feet away. He said that if he were to say that the creatures looked like any animal he knows of, he would compare them to a very, very large wolf, but one that can walk on two legs, sort of like a werewolf. With the lack of physical evidence, the NIDS team decided that although they had seen something and the footprints were documented on video, this encounter failed to meet their requirements for proof of anything paranormal or supernatural. Due to the lack of physical evidence, i.e. blood, a body, or video of the animal itself, this would not be an event that would be written about in any peer-reviewed article created by the NIDS team for the investigations in the Skinwalker Ranch. I mean, such an incredible investigation going on, and they're not going to take a cast of the footprint. I mean, that's just amateur hour. Mm-hmm. Right? They have that much stuff going on where they have a whole team of researchers over there, you know, various scientific degrees, all trying to study this thing. And then suddenly there's this quote, you know, must have been 400 pound animal that he shoots at leaves this crazy looking footprint that's different than anything anyone has ever seen before but somehow they're not going to take a cast of it 
And then also he's going to go back and st- start saying, well, there was another one too and all sorts of stuff. This is where they, they tend to lose me. Like the story is interesting in itself until, you know, something really crucial is left out or, you know, the person or people that are involved then start adding extra stuff that wasn't originally in the report. It's like, okay, well, either either something happened and then you're just in you know, embellishing it and flubbing it and making it, you know, add fluff to it like an eval or <laughs> nothing happened. And you're just trying to make content because, you know, this will be a really cool story one day. I don't disagree. I think that this was a very interesting story. Uh, and I lost a lot of respect for the NIDS team because of this. Um, but one thing stood out to me, right? So you had Terry and Calm who had this encounter with this creature or creatures, but the whole four person team, including Terry himself, three from Nids, one Terry, um, who saw these prints. Now, why they took, why they didn't take a cast, I don't know, because we're about to talk about another story where they did, in fact, take a cast of something. Mm. Um, no idea. That's like, that's a huge red flag right there. Why didn't you take a cast? Did it- that's kind of that's kind of what I got stuck on too. Because I can understand maybe not having a tracker there to help track this animal, but you've also got three scientists sitting there, and not one of them thought, "Hey, we need to take a casting. We need to document this footprint." Like. Especially, what? especially because one of them's a PhD biologist, and this is yeah. a print he's never seen in his life. <laughs> it's just like, like nah, just leave it. What? Leave it this... to get destroyed by the ground. Yeah, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, the other thing, I have a question, a kind of a, a gross question, but hopefully, I don't know if combined skills right here, if someone will be able to answer it for me. Um, the idea of something being found dead and no blood being in its body, right? So I know that as soon as you're dead, dead, your heart stops beating, your blood stops circulating inside your body, right? Or for an animal or whatever it is. But at what point does it start to coagulate and clot to where then you could cut an animal open and no blood would come out of it? Is it a couple hours, right? Because saying that there's no blood doesn't necessarily mean that it was drained of its blood it could just be that it was um you know ripped apart or cut apart sometime after its death because that blood that is no longer pumping is now you know congealed right so it wouldn't be leaking out like there was a heart pumping with pressure behind it like a hydraulic system when you cut a line and it starts spraying out that's what happens when you get an injury right because there's pressure inside your veins but when that stops and everything slows down and it starts to coagulate you could just as easily say well there's no blood here but it could be you know doesn't necessarily mean that the animal died and it was immediately cut apart it just means that sometime afterwards right that that animal then was cut or you know things were removed from it from a surgical perspective you know all these sorts of things but i don't know what that time frame is or what that looks like so that i never really get hung up on that whole like oh there was no blood on the ground it's like okay so the animal could have died of natural causes been left there for a day before it had a time to start bloating and then hacked apart and stuff and there would would there be any blood on the ground 
But but did Jeremy not say that Terry went and tagged the calf not too long beforehand, the same day? So I don't know. I got hung up like on the it, footprint. Like I had this, and then I was just did like, you say oh, that, "This is Jeremy? stupid." Or am I making things up? Yeah. So <laughs> no, it was about. I think it was about forty-five minutes where he had his eyes yeah, off the calf. So, so, so yeah, there's okay. no way that that the blood would have coagulated that quickly. I I don't think that's unless you're trying to freeze the animal, which isn't the case here either. I don't know. Well, As you were asking your question, I was just thinking of the show Dexter. <laughs> one of the one of the serial killers in the show yeah. literally drained the blood out of their victims, and that like as you were asking that question, that's all I was thinking. I I don't think that there's any reason to think that there's not some form of like interdimensional portal or beings that are somehow just not of this dimension or realm, and they must be coming in here and maybe they have the ability to to pause time in a weird kind of way, right? So 45 minutes goes by, but it was long enough for them to sit there and surgically remove the organs from this, this calf without spilling any blood, right? The whole thing. And then go back through their portal into their own dimension. Maybe they've been here forever and they've just been doing this kind of thing forever. They just feed on organs of ca- of calves and cows. And anuses and anuses. There you go. Yes. Now I'll buy it. Now I'll buy it. Wes, did I forget anything? Um, I thought that he was working uh like a hundred yards away at the time too when he didn't have uh his eyes on it. Yeah, Um, I did mention. I'm not mistaken. It was it was a couple uh hundred yards. Uh, what did I say? He was near enough that if something was attacking it, he would have known because he would have heard it. Yeah. Like if it was actively mm-hmm. attacking him. Because um, he, he had walked Terry, or uh, I'm sorry, Terry had walked Calm uh, out to where he was when when his dogs al- uh, alerted to something over in the direction of the cows. Uh, and I believe it was quite a distance. It was It was multiple hundred yards. I mean, your sources probably said that. I mean, hunt for a skinwalker. I'm pretty sure they they specifically said 100 yards. But either either way, I mean, you can be pretty far away from an animal that is upset, and you're yeah. gonna hear it. You know, yeah. Like, you could be multiple football fields away and hear that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, also, the one leg that was torn off, uh, at least in hunt for a skinwalker, they meant they specifically said that, like where it had separated from the calf. There was multiple ligaments and whatnot that, like, they said that the the force required to just rip that off would have been greater than, you know, uh, the majority of predators that are even in that area could apply. Um, They they did dive into that, and they specifically got a little bit into the anatomy of Mm -hmm. the socket that in which the uh, the hip would have been attached to. Um, So. Uh, I want to say it was in Hunt for the Skinwalker where it said all four of them, but I, I could definitely be wrong. Um, is it also possible that this guy is being, you know, he's being visited, and because of these visitations, there's time dilation and all kinds of other things. So maybe it wasn't 45 minutes. Maybe he was experiencing something for, fuck, could have been two days, right, for all we know. That, and I mean, that could absolutely be a fucking 
good possibility is that I, I mean, mean missing time is something that has been documented or not documented but at least reported uh to happen around the uinta basin not necessarily on skinwalker ranch but like external to the ranch um the residents of the area and the natives have reported missing time yeah i've had three hours of missing time before it's wild yeah, and that, if you're out I mean, in the in the in your ranch, you know, in the woods at the tree line on a in a field somewhere and like an hour or two slips by, like you wouldn't even notice, you know. Well, for me, I from what how they describe Terry, you know, he he's when it comes to raising cattle and doing this, this is his this is what he loves. It's been in his family. He's very, very good at it. You know, he his cattle is prized for, you know how good they are and you know he prides himself on never losing more than one percent of you know um his herd ever you know each year Mm -hmm. uh from predators and whatnot and he's very you know what you say uh street smart when it comes to working on a ranch and whatnot working with these kind of animals and protecting them what that would be ranch smart ranch smart okay whatever Ranch smart. Uh, he's very ranch Jeremy, smart. Such a butthole. I know. Um, I'm just kidding. And I'm not. Like it seems like I feel like he if he, he would be the type of person that would notice if all of a sudden an hour had slipped by. You know, I don't know because he's he's literally from sun up to sundown. He's he's doing something. You know, he's got a, a, a schedule of things he's doing and whatnot. And uh, I don't know for for a time to slip by for just him. Uh, I mean, for me, it's like. Wouldn't the cattle move in that time period if, if for whatever reason, time froze for him? But Unless they were victims of it, too. They could be victims I mean, of the right, same well, thing. Well, you know, at the, the, the moment that the cattle was killed, it could have been the start of this experience for him. A two or three hours could have gone by. To him, it's 45 minutes. And then by then, these other these beings could have been doing more than just experimenting or uh, interacting with him, but also the cattle and whatever else you know forging for fucking mushrooms or something i don't know well what if what if it was uh more like you have you know we've talked about this could be beings from another universe uh dimension let me finish what i'm saying real quick (laughs) while i have it in my mind uh what if instead of freezing time in our reality they're reaching in grabbing this pulling it to theirs and then you know they have they can take whatever time they want and then when they're done doing whatever the hell they want they just place it right back. Yeah, it could just right. be a, a time differential somehow in the in between the uh, dimensions. You know, forty-five minutes to us could be a week to them. You know, or whatever. That could be a possibility as well. True. To what Wes said with him, this boasting of I only lose one percent of my herd, and you know all this sort of stuff. Could it be that? Maybe there was way more than 45 minutes worth of time that had passed between the last time he saw this calf and it was out of embarrassment that he just said, oh, I just had my eyes on it. Well, how how long ago did you see it? Oh, 45 minutes or so. Or that he may have been lying about the amount of time, like purposefully, because now there's all this attention and stuff. The only thing that trips me out about this is that, because we talked about in the first one that Terry didn't ever, they didn't sell their ranch for a large profit. I actually looked it up. The ranch was bought by the next person for only $200,000. Yeah. 
NIDS. Very, it, very low, right? Yeah, NIDS so, bought it for 200K. Okay, so that was just like, and then the Skinwalker Ranch show, the new guy now owns it, right? Wait, and, he bought um, it for billions of dollars. Right. Yeah. So so they made a profit, but Terry did not. Um, and then also... Actually, it went, a... it went to another... It went to a couple before it was bought by the current owners. Okay. So there, there was an owner in between who had very little uh strange occurrences but they did happen uh it wasn't as uh uh as present as it was for the shermans or even for the nids team well uh, but there, to, there were a few to my point is that there wasn't a profit made by them yes um, no. although that's not to say that there couldn't have been an effort to maybe stir up enough enough of a because look, I mean, I personally know a cattle rancher, mm-hmm. like in Kansas right now, and he makes a good living, right? It's a lot of work. He <laughs> works, you know, crazy hours. You know, when he's not dealing with all that stuff, he's also, I think he he grows um, soybeans. But there's, he's constantly working. Now, if there was an opportunity for him to sell his property and all of his cattle and make way more money than he does with his current job, you know, maybe that could be a motivation to add a little bit or to, you know, now it didn't happen, right? And that's that's weird. And he didn't, I don't think he went and wrote a book about it. So that's weird. Um, so there wasn't any effort for him to, you know, make money off of his own experiences, which you would expect, you know, if someone had a bunch of crazy experiences and there's a bunch of weird incidences and stuff, and then they wrote a book about it and they were constantly pressing their book, um, that they would, uh, you know, that there would be reason to believe that some of the stories may not have been as truthful as they laid it down as, um, but that didn't happen in the circumstance. So that, that's throwing me for a loop, but maybe from the perspective of this guy's, you know, boasting, whether that's ego or whether that's, um, you know, some sort of pride level that he has that I only lose so much of my herd every single season. You know, I'm such a good, you know, I'm such a good rancher, blah, 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 all this sort of stuff. I raise the best beef, you know, everything. And then suddenly one dies and it's like, uh, man, I just saw that thing, you know, (laughs) that was, I just had my eyes on that thing. You know, is that true? Took my calf. I mean, is that true? I don't know because you know here we are. Just the section or just before this, he's talking about you know some animal that he shot at, and then suddenly after you know this cast isn't taken, and then now he's saying that there was actually two of them. You know, so it's like, is what he's saying honest and truthful? If no one else is around to observe and to say yes, it was forty-five minutes. I was with him. You know, well, I don't know. calm did see the the creature as well um so whether there was two of them or not i don't know uh but the creature was spotted by two different people terry was the only person him and his dogs that with that you know first person uh witnessed the killing from afar of the creature or of the the calf right i mean it wasn't even witnessed it was heard Right. Or more or less, he heard his dogs alerting to it, uh, which brought his attention to it. He didn't. As far as I know, he didn't really hear like the calf bleeding or 
right. or like the the mother cow bleating. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, all of these are are perfectly reasonable. I don't, I don't, you know, I mean, <laughs> when you're talking about missing time and stuff like that, or paused time or time dilations between uh, multiverses, um, that's as you know as much sense as you can make out of that stuff, right? So uh, there's a level of unbelievableness to it. Uh, that you gotta gotta take with a grain of salt. But. I mean, at the same time, I've been watching this show, and there's apparently nuclear radiation le- leaching out of the ground and affecting people's like giving people tumors in their you know skulls and yeah. stuff. So I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of weird stuff going on here that I yeah. do believe could be happening, right? And the whole dish idea that it's a big you know a big satellite dish, but on the ground, right? But so yeah, a lot of weird stuff going on, but interesting so far. It's all, I can't. I'm, I can't wait to do the last episode. I think that's going to be the funnest when we get to dive into some of the theories behind Skinwalker Ranch, like what's really going on, and then we dive into our, our own opinions. I think that that's going to be the the real golden episode of this series. It's going to be fucking fantastic. Let me guess. He bought this property to make a cattle ranch on because it was so cheap because it used to be used for nuclear weapons testing. Out in the middle uh, of nowhere, and he's just like ten dollars think... an acre. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you give me money to buy this? Sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, the bulls. One of the most infamous incidents that happened on the ranch happened when Gwen and Terry were driving back to the area of the ranch that held their prized bulls. The couple were just there looking after their two black Angus and two black cemental. Sem- bulls but as they returned 45 minutes later they were gone the corral where they were left was empty and silent no signs or evidence left at all as to what could have happened as terry walked past an old white locked trailer next to the corral that hasn't been used in years he was shocked to find that through the cutout window on the side there stood the four bulls fitting perfectly and methodically into the cramped trailer that was still locked. The bulls seemed to be in a trance, almost as if they were frozen in time. Terry was very happy to see them and yelled out for Gwen. As Terry began to get really excited and started messing with the lock to let them out, the bulls sprang back to life and began to kick and belt their frustrations. Within the heated moments of their awakening, one of the bulls kicked so hard that one of the walls of the trailer fell over and the four animals ran out. Several hours later, Gwen and Terry had their bulls rounded back up in the corral and headed home 20 miles away to sleep for the night. A few days later, the NIDS team showed up to investigate Terry's claims. A few very interesting points that were made from the team was that indeed the only way into the trailer would have been through the still-locked door at the back of the trailer. Cobwebs were still in place near the middle of the section that the two doors would close into each other, which helped the case that however the bulls got into the trailer in the first place, it wasn't through the intended ways. Feces and damage were very present in the trailer, and the team held no concern that the animals were in fact in the trailer. A few things that they also found that didn't seem right about the story was that the space seemed to be too small to fit all four animals that weighed over 2,000 pounds each. And how would they get into the trailer in the first place? 
The team got to work investigating the area and found something very interesting. The metal bars closest to the trailer were magnetized. uh, When one of the investigators passed by the area with the trailer, the handheld magnetic field detector went crazy, but was perfectly silent in other areas with similar structures as the metal bars in the corral. After hourly periodic testing, the magnetic force in the bars had completely diminished. As the team closed up their investigations at the corral where the bowls were kept, and when the sun went down, they began heading back to the trailer. A member of the team noticed and mentioned that the dogs were once again in their kennels and being very quiet. One of the dogs was even whimpering. So, let's talk about the bowls. So in order to make steel magnetic, don't you have to like put a bunch of um, electricity through it? Yeah, that's give it an electrical probably, charge. That's probably the quickest way to do it, though there is natural ways of doing it as well, obviously because there are natural magnets. Um, yeah. But, I mean, it is it is an odd occurrence, though. It is. Very. I missed a good chunk of that because I had to step away to get some water and give my cat water. So, unfortunately, I I don't really have much for you on this one. Thanks, Jeff. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know, man. Wes, kid? I keep coming back to the dogs. Mm-hmm. First, this guy keeps losing his dogs. Like, that sucks. He's a terrible pet owner. Well, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Can't keep his cows, can't keep his dogs. He should yeah. just not have animals. Um, but <clears throat> this is now the second time that's been, that it's been mentioned, the dogs being completely silent and, like, cowering in their kennel. And that, to me, is a sure sign that whatever's around is not friendly because not even the dogs want anything to do with it. Dogs act that way around Bigfoot. They Ding. do. They do. Fair. But nobody said Bigfoot was friendly. Well, this is why I keep saying like interdimensional. And like every time we do an episode is because I think even Bigfoot is like one of these creatures that just doesn't quite exist in this dimension, you know, and that's why it's so evasive. So maybe these maybe dogs are just aware of this in some kind of way. And they're like, because dogs will go after bears, dude. Dogs go after bears. You know, they'll they'll chase a freaking mountain lion. You know, like they're not. Some of them are afraid, right? But some dogs aren't. And if you're a rancher, you got dogs that aren't scared. So you, maybe they're just like, "Whoa, this is some otherworldly shit." <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I had or... Rhodesian Ridgebacks, African lion hounds, like literally made to hunt lions and stuff or bread. So yeah, you're right. Or or something has uh, asserted its dominance over the dogs. Could yeah. be. I am pack leader. You stand down. Mean like something mounted a dog? Yeah. I don't know, maybe. (laughs) Unless these beings are millions of years old and dogs have evolved knowing that these things have existed and they're just terrified of them from genetic memories. I love you, Jeff. Wes. You alright, man? Yeah. Um, I think I think that dogs are just more sensitive to things happening around them. You know, most animals are very sensitive to their environment, you know, whether it's, you know, birds, freaking, uh, 
I don't know, just any any wild animal. They almost it's almost like they have a sixth sense when it comes to just crazy shit happening, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it a lot of places where like volcanoes are about to erupt or whatever out of nowhere, you know, animals are fleeing the area beforehand, you know. Uh, there's just multiple examples of things like that happening, and I think that's why the dogs are just going nuts because they're just like there's something out there, and they don't like it, you know. Um, they they feel it as a threat. And, you know, so far, this presence on on the ranch has shown itself to be a threat to them, you know, <clears> multiple, multiple times. So, um, yeah, that's my that's my thoughts on why the dogs are going nuts. Um, I, I agree with Wes, you know, animals, you know, whether they're household pets or birds or whatever it is, act erratic and flee when it comes to weather events you know hurricanes tornadoes natural occurring events if we're to assume that it's because of the change in like um magnetic fields or something like that and this property is just pulsating that crap just constantly right and constantly having some sort of a uh, natural or other than natural occurrence on it where it's just emitting all this energy and radiation and stuff like that like we see on the show right where they have all the beams and stuff and they have a focal point and everything then the dogs acting erratic could have really nothing to do with any sort of beings on the thing it could be just simply because maybe they're trapped on a they have this desire to flee and to escape but they're trapped because there's at some point fences around their location there's nowhere to go to escape this you know impending doom that they seem to all animals seem to sense that we're just completely dumb to mm-hmm. so, yeah yeah Wes, i think hit it pretty well um animals know better simple as that right we don't know yeah we're dumb idiots yeah yeah. We're just morons, just standing around looking at the tornado. Like, wow, let's take a selfie. Wes is like, I could have done a better job at this. This guy sucks. <laughs> you getting tired there, Wes? You all right? No, I'm all right. Oof. You sure? Yep. All right, man. I love you. Okay. Yeah, me too. Oh, there it is. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Another magnetic anomaly. The day immediately after the bowls were stuffed into a locked trailer and the same day that the NIDS crew showed up to investigate how the bowls completed such a feat, the Shermans witnessed another strange event. As Terry and Gwen Sherman were driving around the ranch doing their daily checks on all of the animals, they noticed one cow standing in front of a light blue salt lick on the edge of a tree line staring into the trees. They watched as the animal began backing away slowly towards the rest of the herd. Out of the corner of Terry's eye, a compass that he began carrying on him as a way to tell that there was an entity around began to point in the direction of the cow's stare. As the lone cow joined in with the others, they all began to split into two groups, one moving west, one moving east, as if there were a school of fish moving, swimming away fish swimming away from a shark that chose to swim on through the compass continued to follow whatever was forcing the herd to split the shermans continued to watch the herd and the compass and track whatever was bothering the cattle for 11 minutes then it simply continued on past the herd and the compass went back to normal 
This story was passed down to the NIDS team for both Terry and Gwen as the whole crew went back to the trailer for the night after investigating the bulls and noticing that the dogs were once again scared and silent. That was a short one. What do you guys think? Same thing. Look, it's invisible creatures, man. You know? They're not quite here. Yeah, they're like predators. They're not quite in this dimension, but maybe they just kind of can somehow, you know? I'll be honest. When I was, uh, you know, in every instance that I read about this or listened to it in The Hunt for a Skinwalker, my first take was what made him instantly go for the compass? That just seemed out of, Mm, I don't know. It it was just like, why, why would he think to do that at first? But then, you know, for all I know, he he seems like a very smart guy. You know, you know, he's ranch smart, but like things like this happening are things that don't happen to, to even the average person, you know, uh, having these kind of phenomenon and weird things happening. Uh, maybe at some point he noticed that, uh, you know, there was magnetic anomalies, you know, I don't know. And he, he just kept the compass around from there on out, you know. That maybe think okay he just put two and two together whenever stuff happens i can kind of see the direction it's at you know i think that it might be something as simple as that but uh it is pretty wild that not only was he able to see that on his compass but you know like you said it was just like a a, a school of fish parting for a predator like a shark or something swimming through and you know i don't know for all we know that this could be a real creature that you just can't see in in the spectrum of light that we as humans are able to see for all we know, you know, I don't know. Shit, um, you, sh- you should have been here for the Carter Bushhart episode. It was Bigfoot. Simple as that. <laughs> we saw this when in the, uh, it out. we saw this in the, in the show too, like all the cows grouping together, scared, like they were packing in so tight that they were then fighting and ramming into each other and they're all freaking out and stuff. Wasn't that the same time that they saw that UFO? They saw it like right above them. Man, I've they've seen a couple of UFOs in that show. I haven't watched um, that show in probably over a year. But it's just like, you know. So I'm glad that they at least brought it up, or that you brought it up in this, because I thought that that was strange. Right? That's one of those things from that show where I'm just like, why are they doing that? You know, if this is all, you know, hokey and fake and stuff, that all the cows were bunching up together and and fighting and you know going crazy and stuff and then then they saw the ufo above it and so yeah i don't but I, I guess my opinion on it remains the same that i think that it's a response to a magnetic or some sort of a frequency anomaly versus a creature or interdimensional type being Demons. or something like that you know yeah, why not? I mean, you believe in demons, right, Jake? Yeah, that's the same. You could say that's, that you that's could exactly, say that demons are interdimensional. That's you know, exactly what I think. On a it's the different same plane, thing. right? It's the same. It's the same plane, except one of them's visible and one of them's invisible, right? Right. You could call them frequencies. Yeah, and it's the same thing as what Wes was saying with not being able to see them because they're in a different light light frequency. Maybe they just exist in like a different frequency band. That's why the scientists couldn't see anything with all their equipment and shit either, right? 
So maybe it's just on a whole different frequency that we just don't even know about, but they have the ability to kind of phase in and out. That's why people see them once in a while. But why are they grouped in that area then? The earth is covered and spotted in all kinds of uh, places that were considered portals to other dimensions by ancient cultures all over the planet, you know? So it's like, maybe this is just one of them. Maybe there are What's just that? hot spots. The threshold is thinnest. Right. What's that thing that you always talk about? The ley lines? Yeah, like ley lines and shit. Yeah. Is there, Skinwalker is there wrench an is intersection on... here? Yep. It's on a ley line. Yep. Look at that. Perfect. Boom. It's right on a fucking game over. Shut it down. We're done. Go home. <laughs> no problem. Now, what's that smell? Death is it sulfur? sulfur? Is the smell sulfur? Oh, Jake. Jake's following on with my notes. Um, yeah. No, I wanted to take a step back and kind of comment on or piggyback. I'm going to piggyback off of Wes here. No, um, don't do that. Yes, I'm piggybacking. <laughs> so uh, what Wes was talking about for the listeners, if you haven't read this book before, I remember specifically in this book, it, the way that they had brought the compass into the story was very matter of fact. It was just like. Oh, and then out of nowhere. Yeah. And he just like grabbed a compass. He was like, oh, wait, there's something right there. Let me grab a compass. Right. <laughs> I know it's really weird. Um, I think it was in this book right ranch, here. Maybe. Come, nah, like, I mean, come, come on, man. man. Do you really need to find your direction on your own ranch? Come on. Stop. Dude, listen, if you're an right? outdoorsy Thanks, guy, Thanks, right. There's outdoorsy people and part of their EDC is like a compass and a knife and a, you know, gun and like, they're just ready to go. Yeah, but this is a guy that yeah, knows he's his a land rancher. and walks, it, and walks it at night, you know, with no Anyways, no maybe it's in his the point, I, I believe it was in this book by Conrad Bauer. Uh, I could be wrong, but I believe it was in this book where they actually dove into the compass a little bit more and explained that it was due to him, just like Wes was saying, uh, as he was, you know, trying to make sense of the compass. Wes is right. It was due to uh, one anomaly that was magnetic. And he was like, hmm, you know, I know that compasses act strange to magnets and started carrying a compass as a primitive tool to be used instead of more modern ones like video cameras to try to capture evidence of an anomaly. So that answers that uh, hunt for the skinwalker is a great book, but they did a piss poor job bringing the compass into the story. Um, so uh, just wanted to clear that up. All right, good to go. You guys ready to find out what that smell is, Jake? Yeah. What's that smell? Uh, this is actually yeah. <laughs> probably my shortest section in this entire uh, series. So we'll breeze through this real quick. Two days went by. Without anything happening. All right, we're all done. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, right. I wish we had a sound clip of, uh, ooh, that smell, just for that moment <laughs> right there. <laughs> What's that smell? Two okay. days went by without anything happening. But on the third day, when the team was taking plaster casts, there it is, of strange prints on the ground, a horrible stench filled the air, and members of the team claimed to feel the hair on the back of their neck stand up. Kelleher claimed that this was one of the few times during his time on the ranch that he felt immediately threatened. Nobody on the Nids team saw a thing, but Terry would later claim that the same smell has been around plenty of times during his stays on the ranch. Often, it is followed up by an event. Nothing came that particular night, but this would not be the last run in, would not be the last run in 
with this horrible smell. There would be times in the future that the smell would come in stronger and even inside of the research trailer. So that's it. We actually don't talk about the smell anymore. Um, Sounds like brimstone to me. Oh, oh, sulfur. In, you're you're talking about specifically the when the nids were smelling it, right? Yeah. Um, because uh, the podcast that I first listened to, the first first time I ever listened to it or heard anything about Skinwalker Ranch was through another podcast I listened to, and they cracked me up it was probably one of my favorite parts of that episode particular episode they're talking about the smell and how it suddenly appeared in their research trailer <laughs> and uh and when i was like oh yeah you tell me all these researchers are sitting in here for hours eating junk food whatnot freaking uh yeah, sulfur like right. smell didn't appear out of nowhere <laughs> <laughs> they and felt it, it a just... rumbling and suddenly smelled a terrible yeah, yeah, yeah. smell <laughs> what is that <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty easy to solve where that one came from. You know, I mean? uh, you know that's funny. That's hilarious because uh... <laughs> Terry's like, oh, yeah, I've smelled that before. Weird. It's my ass. <laughs> smelt that all the time. <laughs> like wake up, saddles, wake up in bed. You're all eating the, yeah, right. the beans <laughs> around the fire. Yeah, just blowing it up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good one. Good one. Yeah, I, yeah, I love that movie. Oh, I, God. I didn't catch that, but yeah, it was probably just a fart. <laughs> just yeah, they, it they brought it. They brought they brought it up in that, and I like. There's moments in that that they say the wild off the wall shit, and that just like caught me off guard, and I was I was dying laughing. Oh man! But I mean, oh. I was like, man, that's 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 a pretty simple ep- explanation to that. I feel like I don't know. You know, what's funny is I I wonder if uh, researchers that write books and even hunt for the skinwalker in that book um, came across the same conclusion because it is so briefly talked about in every book. Like it, it, it only happened in a short period. Right. And then it was, it was there and it was gone and that was it's it. Gone with the wind. <laughs> <laughs> After the most aggressive pot of chili that everyone had ever eaten. A ominous smell, an ominous stench wafted through the trailer. Yeah, don't say. And no one claimed ownership because, indeed, whoever smelt it had dealt it. Dealt it. Dealt it. <laughs> oh, man, that's I, I, good. I'm a fan of that, that theory there. Good theory. Problem solved. That mystery of Skinwalker Ranch. No longer a mystery. <laughs> yep. Uh, the only... only the people who are downwind of Terry Sherman smelt that smell. That's right. All right. All right. Moving on. Not much to talk about there. <laughs> we are watching you. Quote, there's a huge black thing in the trees just in front of us. and It's moving north. This is what one of the NIDS members said as the team was staked out one night in response to viewing a large creature through the night vision goggles. Aloof, the men and dogs stood up and gazed at the tree line the researcher was pointing at. The investigator who spotted the creature continued to point out that whatever it was, it was huge and that he couldn't tell if it was in front, behind, or in the tree line, but whatever it was, it was blocking out the stars as it walked. When the same man seemed to stop moving completely and said in a calm voice, quote, <clears throat> We are watching you. Then, 
whatever it was, the man continued to say that it was shrinking and that it was gone. When asked to elaborate on what he witnessed, the man told the crew that whatever it was, it was physical as he witnessed the stars behind it disappear and reappear as it moved and talked to him in his mind and let me know that they were watching us. And when it did, I literally could not stop myself from repeating the ex- exactly what it was saying to me. Bro, that's that Bigfoot mind speak. That's the Bigfoot mind speak. That's what Carter Bushart talks about right there. Yeah. Mind speak. Jeff, you were in that episode with us, right? Yeah, I was. And yes, that's interesting. I like this. Uh, yep. Cool. Telepathic. Kid, were you with us then? Nope. I'm <clears throat> not. That was a long time ago. Those are good episodes. If anybody's uh, wanted to dive into... Um, paranormal bigfoot stuff you know the woo woo side of bigfoot check out our our interviews with carter bushard uh who is a a uh uh quantum bigfoot researcher uh he's done work with ron moorhead um done some really good stuff has two awesome books out uh books that he personally filled with photos taken from you know his own investigations stories from his investigations and stories of other um other people's stories that have come to him to get his uh, theories and and uh, um, takes on, on what could be possibly happening. There was one particular one about a Sasquatch. Uh, what uh, if I'm not if I'm remembering correctly, Jake? It was a, a mouse, right? There's a Bigfoot mouse and a a big like bundle of sticks or something, or like a bonfire pit, right? remember that it was insane no i don't know i'd have to go back and listen it was a long time ago man (laughs) Uh, i mean it could have been a couple months ago we have so many episodes in between that it's hard to keep track you know true true like well like we said before a lot of this stuff man we just have to we have to dump just so we can Mm -hmm. make room for the next thing but all right uh let's move on Anybody else have anything to say before we move on to the next bit? Nope. Okay. Let's talk about this smudge again. On the night of August 25th, 1997, two scientists with Bigelow's NIDS team were six hours into a stakeout on one of the observation decks when one of the team members noticed an orange glow out in the distance. What they originally thought to be a reflection of some sort slowly grew and the two men, the two man team became much more interested in the anomaly. Once the orange light grew to about a foot wide, one of the researchers handed the other the only pair of night vision goggles amongst the two and quickly began setting up a time lapse shutter camera to attempt to get the orange light on film. Now, I want to make a uh, correction here. It was they were not goggles. They were binoculars. Just wanted to. Uh, correct that as one investigator was setting up the camera the other man yelled something is in the tunnel the tunnel began to grow even larger and the man with the binoculars began to describe a large dark no-faced bipedal creature climbing out of the light the same man would later describe that while looking through the night vision binoculars the orange light seemed to look more like a three-dimensional tunnel 
The other man could not see the creature coming out of the light and never saw a tunnel without the binoculars that the other was using. But he was able to witness the light growing to the size of about two feet in diameter before beginning to shrink back to nothing. The investigator with the binoculars described a roughly six foot, 400 pound, all black creature with a distinguishable face uh, without a distinguishable face standing in front of the tunnel. It crawled out before walking off and eluding the researchers the rest of the night. Unfortunately for the team, all of the equipment around the ranch failed to capture anything abnormal. A camera set to take a photo every 30 seconds in that general direction, as well as measurement tools used for capturing data on X-rays, gamma rays, beta rays, and infrared lighting all failed to capture evidence of the two investigators' claims. The only physical evidence from that night is a single photo that shows what seems to be a very faint light source. The picture was taken with a 90-second shutter from the camera used by the man that was not using the binoculars. At a later date, the NIDS team would have another strange event end with another orange portal. This time, the team would be hot on the trail of a Bigfoot-like creature on the outskirts of the ranch, just as the team felt like they had the creature cornered and were on the verge of making a gigantic discovery one of these orange portals appeared and the bipedal creature walked through before collapsing on itself and disappearing. And like in previous episode or in the previous episode, I have included another story of an orange smudge showing up in other parts of the world. You guys are going to love this one because we talked about this briefly in another episode. This event is much more famous than the one from the last episode about a small time farmer in Wisconsin. This time, we are heading to Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana, where in 1975, an orange light was seen over the base's heavily guarded nuclear missile silos. A group of fighter jets were dispatched, and the bright orange light raised higher into the sky until it was no longer visible. Then, the event was over. The nuclear codes, or I'm sorry, when the event was over, the nuclear codes for the missiles and the silos were changed, and within a few weeks, four other nuclear bases along the U.S. and Canadian border would suffer the similar events. This event at Malmstrom Air Force Base has been verified via the Freedom of Information Act and on a public congressional hearing on UFOs and UAPs in May 17th of 2022. Good tie-in. Right? Love it. And we just talked about that uh, during that damn yeah. uh, uh, congressional hearing. We had a, a, a special where we talked about it because uh, it was brought up in that con- congressional hearing. Um, the the public one, at least, I'm sure it was brought yeah. up in the private one, too, um, where they had talked about this per- particular thing. And the people who were being questioned by Congress about it didn't know anything about it so acted like they had no idea They're like what <laughs> like, what I've never heard of that before they're like really like this, <laughs> this is verified via freedom of information act the biggest event to ever happen on u.s soil or you know right. documented on u.s soil via ufo or uap or whatever the fuck you want to call them you know nothing come on shut the yeah. fuck up <laughs> yeah. bullshit just say we'll talk about it in the private likely one. story <laughs> Uh, I don't think they do, but hey, I was talking about portals, man. They were, you know, they yeah. so there you go, man. Maybe they really are some. They're opening portals, man. I mean, dude, it's <clears throat> the the whole 
reason we even can conceive that idea, I feel like, and this is just my belief, right, is because there's some reason that that thought exists. Like we must have experienced something along the way that has embedded itself so that we can come up with something, right? So just like an idea of portals, and you see it in movies and games all the time, right, where portal opens and some beings come out that you've never seen aliens come through, right? It's mm-hmm. like, where does that idea come from? And it's like, well, maybe it comes from the fact that these things have always been around and, you know, we're just constantly seeing them. We just now got the internet. We just, you know, and really, if you look at the grand scheme of humanity, we just now got like radio, you know, so. And podcasts. Yeah. Podcasts, you know, <laughs> but even if you go back a couple hundred years, you know, you got nothing. So this could have been happening forever. And we're just now talking about like, yo, there's these portals with these invisible dog-like creature beings that come through and eat shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Eat anuses out of cows. How terrifying is that, dude? What if they're just probing? (laughs) What if they're just probing, like, just to see where we're at? Just, Just trying to see which things like things shoved up their asshole and what doesn't. And once every 27,000 years, right, like they just the portals open everywhere. And it's just armies of invisible dogmen. Yep. Cows. Great movie. I mean, they they like it. Uh, Dogs don't really care for it. People or whatever. Some like it. Some don't. Bears don't like it. (laughs) All right. Let's move on. Ready? Yeah. Yep. Hyena, or hyena? (laughs) In July of 1999, Terry and Gwen Sherman were heading back onto the ranch when they noticed that their horses were running scared and causing a dust cloud to form in one of the corrals. As the Shermans approached, they saw a reddish-brown fur-covered animal running on all fours, hurting and nipping at the horses. Terry was pissed because what he thought was just a dog having fun was not fun to the horses. But as they got even closer, Gwen commented that she didn't think that was a dog. And she was right. What the Shermans described to have seen that day was a very large and muscular hyena-like animal with a rather fox-like fluffy tail. It was very clear to the Shermans that this was no house dog, fox, coyote, or wolf, and that they were fairly certain this was not a hyena either. But that is exactly what they said it best resembled very loosely. As they approached the animal... As they approached, the animal quickly ran away, but left both of his horses bloody on their hocks. As a side note, in addition to the sighting of a hyena-like animal, there were a few other sightings of such an animal post-1999 in the area. In one case, the witness was an employee of the ranch, and in another, it was a resident of the area a few miles away. Another creature that we have talked about on this show in this region of the U.S. is the Shunka Warakin, which we talked about for a little bit in the Beast of Bray Road episode, or series, actually. Uh, the Shunka Warakin is thought to have been a known prehistoric relative of the hyena, typically referred to as a ringdocus, that was black or dark brown in color, high shoulders, and a back that sloped down to its hindquarters. The creature's name to the Iowa natives Shunka Warakin means carrying off dogs. There have been stories all around the northern Midwest states of creatures matching the descriptions of the ring docus. In the, ba- in the book Cryptozoology A to Z by Lauren Coleman and Jerome Clark, 
they reference a cryptozoologist by the name of Mark A. Hall that has documented sightings of a, quote, mean-looking, near-wolf-like, and hyena-like animals from Alberta, Nebraska, Iowa, and Illinois. There is even a mounted taxidermy redocus in existence and currently at the Madison Valley History Museum and is owned by the Idaho Museum of Natural History. Man, they should have taken a cast of that footprint. That's what I thought. <laughs> they, That's they, too smart. If it uh, left them. But you know what this sounds like? Hmm. This sounds like the show where the alpaca got attacked. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be interesting? Just like uh, amongst all the other stuff going on here, they also have at least one possibly non-extinct cryptid that's running around in that area. Yeah. It's like, I'm not saying that those two things couldn't happen at the same time, but that is, that is pretty cool because yeah, it absolutely sounds like they saw this thing, which is uh, new enough to the extinction list that there's taxidermied remains and stuff, which could lead that there could be a few of them. Right. Right. So that's, that's pretty cool. Plus, that area does seem very remote. I was, like, looking at the terrain and stuff. I was like, I mean, it's, like, perfect. Well, when you think of mesas, right, or uh, basins such as the Uinta Basin, uh, the the cave systems is something that is referenced quite a bit. Uh, You have to believe that there are tons of them throughout that area. I mean, the Rangdokus was, uh, I believe that the one that is in Idaho on display was shot in Illinois. Um, I could be wrong about that, but this was a creature that was said to have been living around the area as uh, recent as during the Native American, you know, mm-hmm. times before uh, right. the, what, the uh, Eastern world came over. Um, so... I mean, could could they have one of these uh, ring docuses or uh, Shinkawarakin running around Skinwalker Ranch or around the area? I think they could. For sure. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. That's the I first thing so. I truly buy in this whole thing. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> All right. You guys ready to move on? I am, yeah. We know Jeff is. All right. Moving on. What about the locals? The NIDS team had many goals when it came to the ranch. One of those was to document historical and recent sightings from the locals. The local Utes and non-native residents of the basin came forward with many stories of multiple colored balls of light, cattle mutilations, and a particular triangular craft. In one particular story outlined in the book, Hunt for the Skinwalker, Kelleher and Knapp tell of Mr. Gonzalez and the time he found one of his cows laying on the ground with two broken legs in a field that she should not have been in. He left her uh, to go home and get a blanket to cover her in. And on his way out, he checked to see how she could have gotten out of the pasture. Uh, There were no broken or bent fences and all of the other animals were accounted for inside the gates. As he returned five minutes later to the spot he had left her, she was gone later that evening. He happened to look out his window to see the cow 50 yards away from her original position. This time, when he approached her, he saw that all four legs were now snapped. Mr. Gonzalez made the decision to put her out of her misery, 
but the question of what happened to her still bothers him. In another story, highlighted by Kelleher and Knapp, Dean Derhock, or Derek, was visiting his uncle's house at Border Skinwalker Ranch in 1980 when he witnessed a silver sphere sitting on the ground. Dean claims that the sphere was 30 to 40 feet wide and resembled an upside-down bowl. Most stories from the people in uh, and around the Uinta Basin end with just a sighting of something they cannot explain. Unfortunately, to go over all the stories and the strangenesses that happen outside of Skinwalker Ranch, but still within the area known as the Uinta Basin, would take far too long. But one thing is for certain. The NIDS team easily came to the conclusion that the ranch did not hold a magical invisible border where strangeness and the unknown stopped. The entire basin was the home to a plethora of uncanny activity. Sweet. I do have one last section. You want me to just go ahead and finish it up real quick? Yeah. Sure. Tie this bow. By the end, there was not much to show for the research. The team had built many small observation buildings and dog housings. The team learned that the dogs were the best alarm for anything about to happen, and the team felt like there was so much left to uncover about the mysteries of Skinwalker Ranch. On top of all we talked about today, and in the past few episodes, there were some instances that we did not talk about during this period. Instances such as items going missing within seconds of someone putting it down, a 2,500-pound ditch digger was lost and found up a tree, damage to the inside of buildings that were locked, strange lights in the middle of rainstorms, and another magnetic anomaly which seemed to be emanating from Gwen Sherman until she exited the trailer and it disappeared. And as well, a uh, one small red orb that attacked cows, horses, and the Sherman's son. Skinwalker Ranch was not the only place under the investigation of the NIDS team. In the summer of 1997, the NIDS team split their time between the Sherman's Ranch and the area known around Dulce, New Mexico. But more on that in another episode of the Infinite Rabbit Hole. Robert Bigelow pulled a plug on the NIDS research team in 2004. The grants from the government for research dried up and were never renewed. There you go. That's a big clue right there. At least for me. I'm sure for Jeffrey, and for Jake, and for Wes, and for Kip. Money was no longer flowing in for Bigelow, and he simply lost interest in the ranch. But that wasn't the end for Robert Bigelow. In fact, immediately after shutting down of research on Skinwalker Ranch, Bigelow Aerospace began to really blow up. A contract with NASA was won for the creation of special modules for the International Space Station. Another interesting contract the Bigelow was awarded was for a part of the Pentagon's UFO study known as the Advanced Aviation Threat Initiative, a.k.a. AAVTI, in 2007. This program was classified top secret until December 2017 and was founded to have a budget of $22 million between 2007 in 2012 for Bigelow Aerospace for their contributions. The end. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Jeffrey. What about, what about the closets with the double locks? That was from yeah, pre-Sherman's. 
That was from before the show. I still want answers. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's still a lot that I want to know. I would I, I would like to just go. Let's just go. Can we, can't. we go? <laughs> we can't. Well, right, you say right. can't, but you know we're sovereign citizens. Let's just go. Right. <laughs> yeah. What's the problem? Sure, fuck it. Let's do it. I mean, they stormed Area 51, right? We could do this. <laughs> Did they? It's owned by a private person, they, though. They, I mean, it's just stormed. it's just trespassing. Yeah, you know? We'll just let we'll let them know. I'll be like, listen, hey man, we're doing a podcast. We want to come check we're a research it out. team. We're gonna come stay like three nights, four nights out. We're gonna camp out on the ranch. What's up? Yeah, fuck it. Go ahead. You do yeah. you do the reaching out, and uh, I'll take the time off work. All right. It's hmm. not happening. Right. I would love to. We'll see. I think it would be really cool. You'll be surprised. It'd be really cool. I had Tommy Chong right. on my podcast. Don't test me, bro. I'll get in touch with these people. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, and he was supposed to get Tommy Chong for our podcast too, but he never did. He doesn't love us. Enough. I gave you the, the um, info. Well, man. Are there more sections to this this series? Just the um, theories behind Skinwalker Ranch and our thoughts and opinions. Honestly, I mean, we could talk about thoughts and opinions right now, but uh, without going through all the theories, because there is. Uh, fuck ton of them that's a two-hour conversation by itself right so just making sure yeah don't worry there's there's more to go through uh but this is this is about it story based wise um like i said in the first episode i'm not really gonna dive into the current stuff because that current stuff is all on the history channel you know if you want to go and dive into the history channel and learn about the current stuff that's going on right now as we speak that's the place to go uh, right. we can't, we go can't do them, it better than that. <laughs> go see them fake it. Yeah. Yeah. Go um, see them fake it. Currently I'm on board with Jeff for the most part. Like I think he and I are jiving. Think He's, it's the demons, he, bro. He made the parallel for me of, you know, getting away from interdimensional beings into something more in my wheelhouse and, you know, made those bridges in the thought process. And I'm like, yep. Yeah, probably. Now, why is there so much, you know, of this magnetic anomaly or this, you know, radioactive, these radioactive anomalies or whatever it is? Why is this a hot spot for it? No clue. Like, I don't know if I buy into the whole ley lines thing. Um, you should. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't be wrong, right? But I just don't, you know... I haven't looked into it enough to have a a good opinion formulated about it, but definitely seems to be a high amount of craziness going on, whether that is PSYOP related or just, you know, it's a big old expanse of nothing out there except for some ranches and stuff. So not the worst place in the world to conduct, you know, um, militaristic drills. Um, you know, maybe there's increased seismic activity right there, but not in the form of earthquakes and stuff, but more in the form of radiation coming up from, you know, the bowels of the earth. Maybe there's a freaking tunnel to the inner earth right there, or the, uh, the hollow earth for Jeff, you know, I don't know, but certainly I believe that some of it's going on. Yeah. Right. There's Mel's hole in there. (laughs) Apparently I believe that there's some of it going on, 
but um i think that there's very a very high dosage or at least a sprinkling of baloney just inside of there mixed in with the stories and the the you know not including the research teams right the research teams are doing their science and then everything else around that seems to be like oh and then this happened but there was zero evidence of it and stuff you know oh the the literally the first time this biologist has ever seen a footprint like this in his life but we didn't take a cast because i don't know we just you know <laughs> it's just <laughs> like it's there, there's some definitely some like all right this is this is made up or this is flubbed or this is um you know really what's that red flags yeah red flags you know or it was just like um you know obvious either i don't want to say it was like things were looked over but maybe things were concealed we'll see well <laughs> Does anybody else have anything to say before we sign off? I mean, I got a lot of theories, but I'll save it for the next one. Yeah, I've got I've got a couple of ideas, but I want to hear the next episode first. Copy that. All right. Wes? Um, I, I, I have one thing. Um, I, I mean, I, I'll have more of a, an opinion, I guess, more to say at the end. But, I mean, so far from what everything's happening... And from what we know today so far, still, uh, you know, there's a lot that we don't understand. And I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily buy that this is demons or anything, but the whole uh, multiverse theory, you know, or, you know, visitors from another dimension. I don't know. It, it's just it's just crazy. But from everything T- Terry Sherman had told the Nids about you know, what had happened prior to them arriving. And then a lot of that similar things happening afterwards, uh, being witnessed by them, I think is, is pretty, pretty cool. Um, something definitely has, ha- you know, been happening on that ranch. And, uh, I can't wait to, you know, really f- flesh out what I think about that, but, uh, you know, it's pretty cool so far. I think the next episode is going to be a blast. Just being honest with you. Yeah, I got a lot. Um, me too. Um, I, <laughs> I will go ahead and just point my side at least and say that I do believe that there's something strange going on. Um, is it paranormal? I don't know. I'll uh, I'll hold that opinion for later, but I don't believe that this is all 100% people just fucking around and and bullshitting and and uh but uh, not saying that it doesn't happen. Okay, definitely. Uh, some some of the things that we talked about tonight were, and during the last episode probably did not really happen. But there's so much here, and so much more that there's got to be something. With that being said, if you made it all the way to the end of this episode, uh, I do want to go ahead and throw out a couple ideas. For some future episodes, if you liked what we talked about today in or today and in the last episode about Skinwalker Ranch, you want to hear more stories from other people other than Terry Sherman and the NIDS team. Some of those fringe stories that aren't really talked about a lot. Let me know. Okay. Leave a comment in the YouTube or 
shoot us a email at infiniterabbithole@gmail.com. Head on over to Facebook and join the Infinite Rabbit Hole Facebook group. Let us know. Send us a message. Make a post. Do what you got to do to let us know you want this. Uh, because I have a couple books of other stories. And there is a whole series, 10-part series of books from one particular person who claims to have snuck onto the ranch Enough times to write 10 fucking books. So it's easy then. Let's go. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, dude. Let's do it. <laughs> let's, let's do it and get shot. Yay. Um, no. I don't want Dragon <laughs> to come after me. Yeah. And Nighthawk. Oh, Dragon from the yeah, fucking... Yeah, that was so, so show. Fun. I'm not even going to lie. Yeah, oh, they called me Nighthawk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally rolled my eye so hard I fell over. Whitney, Whitney rolls her eyes every single time oh, they, they call for dragon over the radio. I'm like, Ugh. I know it makes this argument extremely difficult, man. <laughs> He's dressed in all black. You know, they're out in the fuck out there in the middle of the day. It doesn't matter what the temperature is. He's in all black. I'm like, oh, my God. Wearing he gloves a sling for a shotgun out of here. He's carrying it around <laughs> like a dork. Here. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Anyways. Uh, this has been another episode of the Infinite Rabbit Hole Podcast. Make sure you hit us up. Don't forget that we have an entire audio catalog for you to check out. This is the first episode of our third year of doing a, a, this podcast, so there's plenty for you to check out. Um, head on over to InfiniteRabbitHole.com. Check out our merch shop. Who Jake puts a lot of work in there, and if you like that, it's Probing Time t-shirt. This is the only place you can get it. Because Jake made that in paint. That's right. It says a lot about you if you like that. Hey, I, I like this shirt. This Next shirt. time I wear the Bigfoot nipple tee, that says a lot about me too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thanks again for checking us out. Uh, whether you're listening to us on your favorite podcast player or you're checking us out on the Paranormal Network. Tune in next time. We dive into the theories behind Skinwalker Ranch and our personal opinions about what could be behind the anomalies. Thank you, everybody, and goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.